You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation. Brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com. And be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to secondcity.com. The Second City is excited to work with Amazon as part of their new and exciting app called AMP. AMP is a home where anyone can create live radio-style shows alongside some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including ours. Join the Second City live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time for our show, Second City Public Radio. SCPR is an interactive weekly lampoon of all things public radio. Each week, our host and an ever-expanding panel of Second City characters open up the lines to listeners from around the U.S. to ask questions and offer us opinions on a slew of wide-reaching subjects. Download the app, and don't forget to tune in, AMP. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. My guest today on the pod is Wendy Smith, who is the academic director of the Women's Leadership Initiative at the University of Delaware, where she's also a professor of management. She has co-written with Marianne Lewis uh, a great book. It's called Both And Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. I think you'll enjoy the pod. Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at the Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is getting the S-A-N-D. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. Wendy Smith, welcome to the show. Kelly, it's so nice to be here with you. So I've been doing this podcast long enough that I've gotten to know the various book publicists really well and vice versa. So it was kind of a small delight because she didn't say anything in advance about this, that by page 103 of your new book, you're talking about the improv concept of yes and. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm curious when that concept connected for you. Was it in your research for the book? Was it before? What, 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 was the, what, what was the light bulb that went off? I love that, Kelly. It's such a pleasure to be on this show because I have thought about improv and yes, and as a real um, cousin to all of this work that we've been doing. And in fact, when I say to people now, I talk about both and, I talk about paradox, people will say to me, and of course, there's this idea of yes, and. So mm-hmm. it comes up all the time. You know, one of the first times it emerged for me was that I was um, invited to do a workshop for a large bank uh, for a bunch of their sales folks. And they brought in, this was in London, and they brought in some of the actors from the Young Vic troupe. 
And I know that this is something that is increasingly uh, happening in the consulting world, really a fabulous opportunity, which is for leaders to learn from folks on stage. But that's a a bit where the idea solidified and thinking really more deeply about how these two concepts uh, are not different, are really reinforcing of one another. Yes, and is a practice for thinking about both and thinking. Yeah, when we started working with the behavioral scientists at the University of Chicago, um, they, of course, were, were intrigued by yes and, and they introduced us to both and thinking as, as a concept that, that we, I think I'd heard in the universe, but hadn't really connected with. And it speaks very well to the levels of navigating ambiguity. And I, I, and I feel like I've had so many podcasts lately around that. And and you write in the introduction of the book, quote, any boundaries I previously uh, constructed between work and life had totally collapsed uh, with regard to COVID times. So I think this existed before, but now has been put into into really sharp focus, right? Absolutely. You know, in the work that we do and, and this idea of both and emerged for us by studying paradox, which we think are these interwoven opposites that underlie our dilemmas. Paradox is a concept that goes back 2,500 years. We're going back to Eastern thinking of Buddhism and Confucianism. We're going back to Greek myth- Greek thinking, Greek uh, philosophers like Heraclitus. So these ideas have been around for a really long time. And one of the exciting things for us as we think about this of how to implement these ideas in organizations and leadership in our own personal lives is that we're also seeing this movement to thinking about both and and paradox and interwoven opposites in domains like physics and psychotherapy. And we're seeing them really emerge across the board. So this isn't just um, us thinking about this in organizations and leadership, or are you all thinking about this in practice and in on the stage? This is us thinking about these ideas really broadly in our world. Um, one of the things that the, the very first uh, live theatrical production other than Second City that I got to see coming out of COVID time was uh, Come From Away. Ah. Um, and you introduced us to Zeta Cobb um, yeah. from Fogo Island, Newfoundland. And, and if anyone's familiar with that musical, it's, it takes place there. Um, tell us about what she did and this the, the thing, Shorefast, because after I read the book, I actually went on the website and it's amazing. It's amazing. I have to tell you, I loved going to see Come From Away with my colleague and collaborator, Natalie Sawinski from Newfoundland. I loved being in Gander with her. It's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. So that is incredible show. And the reason that I was in Newfoundland was because of Zeta Cobb. And so her story very briefly is that she grew up in this island. It's called Fogo Island. It is the the best fact that I love about Fogo Island is that if you look at the flat world society that really does believe the world is flat, one of the four corners of the flat world is on Fogo Island. And there's a point on Fogo Island where it says you have hit one of the corners of the flat world, the number of people that have fallen off to date zero. So I love that. Uh But Fogo Island, as Zita Cobb says, she grew up in, you know, this very rural, very, um, you know, uh, her parents were illiterate. There was no running water. The island was really run by one resource, which was codfish or cod, as they say. As the cod dried up, the people left. Zita and her family left along with uh, this out migration. Um, and she ended up um, uh, going to Ottawa, becoming the third highest paid female executive in Canada, working for um, a network uh, company, 
JDS Uniphase, and then said to herself, you know, how can I go back and really redevelop the community of Fogo Island, this place that is so special, this place that has its unique ways of knowing? And for her, this was a broader question of how do we really reinvest in community and in place and in the unique diversity around the world? Um, and so that's what she did. And she went back to Fogo Island and she started off by thinking about how she could help Fogo Islanders get um, scholarships to leave Fogo Island until someone pointed out to her that actually is only perpetuating the problem. So she asked the question, what is it that is so unique about Fogo Island and about Newfoundland? And um, the the answer is really the deep level of hospitality, which, as you said, if anybody's seen the show Come From Away, really knows that's true of the province. And so they developed an inn on Fogo Island. This is not your typical Four Seasons. This is not your typical holiday inn. This is a unique and distinct inn that tries to bring some of the most elite travelers to see the island, but also to connect with and and engage with the uh, community in service of reinvesting in and redeveloping the community. It's an amazing story. The organization's called Shorefast, and uh, it's been an incredible uh, statement of how to redevelop communities, but importantly, and in the work of both and, how to bring together the old and the new, the traditional and the modern, the insider and the outsider into relationship one another with one another to enable the future. So I really want to recommend people go to the website because what you're going to see a stunning, the view, the view there. So these sort of glass walls so that you can really connect with, with the community, locally sourced food art. Um, and, and it, it looks very modern, except that on the other side of modern is the Island itself. So it's, it's this, it, it's this duality that's on, on display in every aspect of, of, of everything that's going on. Okay. I want to tell you about that. You know, they actually created the inn in a cross and an X yeah. to reflect this duality, the the private and the public, the oh. insider and the outsider. The, and so they have embedded this notion of bringing together a holistic sense of integration of opposites in everything they do. It's really fabulous. That's interesting. And, and I, we've just been having this conversation around Second City because we're we're still sort of rebuilding based on everything that's going on. We got sold a whole bunch of other stuff. And we're discussing the metaphors we use yeah. and, and how important they are and whether they are correct or not. And at certain points in, in our history, there's been like a hashtag second city family. And we're like, we're not a family. We're a business. We all have like, by the way, I don't want a second family. I have enough problems with my one family. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and so what I love about this is that they've taken into account words and, and, and design and, of these spaces and that you just don't see that expressed very often in the modern world. I'll give you one more metaphor they use because I think it's beautiful. They talk about cauliflower living. So their symbol is the cauliflower. And the reason for that is because they talk about how important it is for all of these local distinct florets that are unique and distinct, but they are created by or reinforced by the central core. And so the central globe, and and this is their metaphor for the global economy, for our globalization, the global core has to be strong, but it has to be strong in service of what is unique and distinct about these florets. That is the metaphor that they use for this, this, again, this both and of global and local, which is really powerful. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know how I was never exposed to through Greek philosophy to the liar's paradox. Um, <laughs> and it um, that stuck with me a little bit. Can you can you talk about that? I think it's fascinating. Yes. 
So um, at the core of this idea is this notion of paradox. Paradox is this idea that these oppositions, these, these dualities that are in direct opposition with one another are also interwoven. A classic example of this is this liar's paradox or the statement, I am lying. That's the most succinct way of saying it. And it is this interwovenness between truth telling and falsehood, right? So if I say I am lying, then uh, I am actually, and I'm lying, I'm actually telling the truth. So I'm not lying. And right. So it has this sort of ongoing interwovenness to it. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of these rational or not rational, these kind of um, uh, philosophical paradoxes that lie at the at the core of this notion of paradox. And philosophers have been trying to figure out, solve the liar's paradox for years. One of the things that we say is that paradoxes are not solvable. We're not trying to solve or resolve these paradoxes, we're trying to live into them. And that's the idea of living into our paradoxes of today and tomorrow of, of performing well now and, and learning for the future of taking care of myself and being there for others. These, uh, you know, being able to be planned and thoughtful and strategic and emergent. That's, it's not about solving between them. It's about living in them. So because I'm a comedy nerd, I feel like the more contemporary expression of that in comedy is Abbott and Costello's who's on first. Right. Absolutely. Both things are true. I love that. Two different things are true at the same time. I love that. And and we're not trying and and you know, think about the conflicts that we have between two different people. Two different things can be true at the same time. We sit there and fight which one of us has the right truth, but in fact, the bigger truth is a holistic integration between these opposing ideas. And and and, and is the basis of really good comedy. That that in in essence is you think one thing is happening when actually something else is happening. But really good comedy is like they're both happening. They're both happening. And the basis of really good relationships and the basis of a really good society, right? Comedy is probably the basis of really good relationships and a really good society, too. It can be. But then comedians get in the way. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the problem. I always say that no one got into this work because they're well adjusted. I think that actually probably applies to the entire universe. But, you know, that's that's what it is. Right. So going a layer deeper, there are four types of paradoxes. Uh, that you talk about performing paradoxes, which is your why paradox, learning, which is your when, organizing, which is your how, and belonging, which is your who. Um, We've talked to various folks about corporate social responsibility, um, and I want you to tell us how that is a particular kind of paradox and why. Yeah, um, I love that. Um, So I'm going to say two things. One, uh, the more simple level and one is the deeper level. Um, We translate those paradoxes to strategic paradoxes. And one of the paradoxes that we translated into it, this performing paradox is an obligation paradox. We talk Mm -hmm. about it as Um, and and we talk about it as obligation, globalization, localization and coordination paradoxes. And the performing paradoxes is about what are the outcomes, the performance? And in the case of social responsibility or sustainability or these, we're trying to maximize a set of outcomes that are both for our bottom line and ourself and the profits that we make in our company and the financial health of our company and for a broader set of stakeholders and a social mission and environmental mission. Those are the outcomes that are often in conflict with each other. But indeed, the more we can think about them as interwoven, the better they are. So that would be the first layer. The second is that what we also argue and, and, and find is that these paradoxes are often multiple paradoxes that are knotted with one another. 
uh, over time. And so in the book, we talk about Paul Pullman, who implemented a really significant sustainability strategy at Unilever between 2008 and 2018. It's continued on in which he committed to these kind of social responsibilities, social environmental outcomes and doubling profits and did it through these tensions. But in order to do that, it raised all kinds of knotted tensions. It wasn't just social and financial. It meant that he had to innovate and try new things while maintaining their existing world. And so he's dealing with this innovation tension. It meant that he had to do different things in the global South than in the global North. And so he's dealing with global local tensions. So at, what we find is that often we start with one paradox, one type of, but that it, it, as we unpack it, there are wove, interwoven these multiple knotted tensions with one another. So if it's a paradox, it's not solvable. We've established that. But what, what I think you're saying is if we're aware of it, we, we, can get, we can get close or closer. We can live with it, which introduces new creative opportunities for okay. living in it. In, so, it's, so I want to be clear. One of the things we talk about is the difference between the dilemmas that we face. These are the solvable momentary experiences. And what we say is the lurking under the paradoxes lurking underneath. So Paul Pullman, in trying to manage a sustainability and corporate social responsibility agenda, faced ongoing dilemmas like how do I package shampoo so that I'm not overusing packaging? Well, that's a dilemma that needs a resolution. Yeah. And that needs a that needs a solution. Underlying that is this paradox of social, financial, self, other, internal, external, global, look, all these others. Those are not resolvable. And we have to be able to think about those in the long term of living with those, even as we solve in the momentary each of these dilemmas. Got it. Okay. Um, so the opposite of uh, both and thinking is either or thinking. And, and I, I tend to think also zero sum is another phrase that, it, yeah. Um, and the example that you use uh, early in the book is what happened to Lego. Um, and I don't know that we've talked much about that story, though it's, it's a well-known one. So, it, you know, Lego amazing. They're, they're I think, doing, doing great, but that was not the case in recent history. Yes, absolutely. And Lego is a great example because often, at least in the world that I live in and where I start, I started studying innovation and there is a classic, you know, success trap or right that, that the, the classic trap of what what leads to failure in company is their success. And so that was Lego's story, as is many company stories, which is that they became big, they became successful, and then they became enmeshed in the inertia of how they've always done things and hesitant and resistant to change. And that's the first layer of this, which is that many companies end up in that position uh, and until they almost went bankrupt. Now, what we find when it comes to paradoxes is, and, and, and is that this kind of either or thinking leads us down these vicious cycles. The first one is exactly this, that you intensify one position. So you intend, so Lego, like many companies, continued to do what it always did, sticking with its existing product until it almost failed. However, and what happens when you hit the bottom then is that often you do what we call as overcorrecting, mm -hmm. which is swinging to the opposite side. And so Lego seeing that they were heading down this real failure said, oh my goodness, we have to innovate. And what they did was they ended up saying, okay, we're, and, and by the way, this all happened around the time, you know, the early 2000s when toys moved from the very mechanical toys to everything being electronic and having chips yeah. and that doing, and, and Lego was losing as a result of that. So they said, oh my goodness, we have to innovate. We have to try new things. And so they swung completely to the opposite to do, you know, 
it, it what every organizational theory strategy around innovating, putting them all in at the same time. So this was the time that Lego started to introduce their theme parks. It was the time they, they Lego initially said, okay, we're just four colors, only four colors. It took them months and months and months to get green. This was the time that like a million colors came out. They started to brand with all of co-brand with all of these other Harry Potter, Star Wars, Star Wars. And, yeah, yeah, Harry Potter and Barbie. And My kids were right there for that. Right. Actually, this was the time, and I'm so sorry I missed this. Apparently, you could send in a photo of your favorite building, your house, your business, and they would make you a custom Lego box of your own building, which I'm so sorry I missed out. But it was the time of massive innovation. And in fact, it was that overcorrection that almost sunk them because they they were they were making revenues, but they were, had no profits because the costs were so high. And so what we what it shows us is that actually what we have to live in is this sort of nuanced, ongoing, we've got to innovate, but with discipline. We've got to innovate, but we, we have to have some simple rules about what is and is not enabling our innovation so that we have some cost regulation there. And so that's going back to living in, well, we can't just innovate ex- in the extreme. We have to do so by simultaneously holding on to who we are today. So that's a talking about vicious cycles, but you also talk about virtuous cycles and you talk, you have an idea um, uh, that you talk about, about finding a mule. Yeah. So talk, talk to us about that. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, when, so people often say, okay, so what's the outcome of both and thinking? And so we say there's actually two different pieces. The mule is the one that people think about more often. So Oftentimes when people think, okay, what's the benefit of both and thinking? They think there's going to be this ideal win-win or creative integration. And we call it the mule because the mule is this biological hybrid of the donkey and the horse, the best of the donkey, the best of the horse. And in some ways that's, you know, that's your ideal. So in the book, we talk about um, creative geniuses often bring together opposition to come up with their best ideas. So Albert Einstein's a great example it was a, this this painful question of how could an object be at motion and at rest at the same time that led to the theory of relativity, right? Or we talk about Mozart or Picasso or Virginia Woolf, all of these examples of bringing together opposites to come up with this creative integration. And just to take us a step further, you know, the ideal is this creative integration, but most of the time it doesn't happen, That in fact, and this goes back to what it means to live in paradox. Oftentimes what we find around living in paradox is, and we talk about it as tightrope walking or being consistently inconsistent, that over the long term to go forward, we're making these subtle shifts between these opposing demands in our, in our dilemmas and our decisions. It's not that we are swaying all the way to one side or swaying all the way to the other we're making these subtle shifts which over time allow us to hold the whole and 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 in fact uh, my early research was at ibm i studied this in the context of innovation and i was expecting that holding the the for the ibm teams to be able to sustain their existing product and to innovate that they would come up with these ideal solutions where the existing product would support the innovation and vice versa And most of the times, the teams that really did this both and well were able to make these micro decisions that felt inconsistent. They were putting resources sometimes to the innovation, sometimes to the existing product, but they were making these micro shifts over time to be able to hold the whole. And we talk about that as tightrope walking. So this was the section where I was like, oh my God, this is how the second city, this is the second city process. This is how we create review uh, here. And I don't know if you know 
that about that. Yeah. Um, we do two acts of scripted content and a third act that is improvised. Uh, the process never closes except when we have to with COVID. The shows run into each other. So the, the, the first two acts, which is, again, the scripted, when we start to work on a new show, we're putting a new material in the late night improv set, which is free. And it's late and people are drinking. Um, yeah. And then gradually we put it into the uh, the good pieces that are working into the main show, take out the old and over. And we're doing this all in front of an audience until we're ready to sort of uh, preview and hone craft. And it's like a 10 to 12 week process. Six people are doing this with a director, musical director, stage manager. Um, it's it's so you're you both have you're rooted in the traditional Second City format for a good period of time. But you have this wild space. Yeah. And yeah. then it flips. Yeah. And then all the rules of engagement, which they've all learned because they've learned improvisation, are uh, you have to operate as if all of us are better than one of us. You have to make your partner look good. You have to be fiercely in the moment. So you're never lingering too far in the past or examining too far in the future. And it feels to me like that is all enmeshed in, in what you're playing with here. Yes, absolutely. And I love all of that. And part of, you know, part of being able to live in both and is... So, so we talk about it as having boundaries and having dynamics, being able to have some structure, some boundaries, some scaffolding to hold us together and constantly being dynamic because these paradoxes are shifting and moving over time. And what that looks like is exactly what you're talking about, which is we have some rules, we have some clear boundaries, we have some guardrails, and those boundaries and guardrails actually allow us to be more creative and, you know, and, and try new things and experimental along the way. And so we're playing with that duality of structure and, and dynamism or change structure and change, stability and change to allow us to live in these paradoxes. So you do a really good job of making fairly complex ideas um, understandable. Uh, and I, you, you did, you did a turn in the book that I didn't expect. And I was really liked it where you're talking about care and, mm-hmm. and, and this, this paying attention and things like breathing and gratitude and social connection, all, all things that are drawn from social sciences. Um, but, but often feel like I, I always say we need a better word for soft skills and soft skills because they're real hard. Right. 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 So, Talk to us a little bit about what what was it that you were like, no, 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 we need to include this in the book as well. Right. Well, I think part of it is that our own experience, what our research, our um, our interviews, navigating paradox is hard. I don't want to make it seem easy at all. It leads us to be defensive. It introduces uncertainty. And oh my goodness, during the pandemic, I saw this just bubble up how anxious and uncomfortable we all got with uncertainty, our mental health challenges. We see this with leaders with this ongoing, you know, having to navigate ongoing competing demands of their, uh, their, their staff and their, it's hard. And one of the things that we know is that in order for people to navigate these paradoxes, we have to, it's not about getting rid of the discomfort that exists. It's about being comfortable in the discomfort. And that's what we talk about. And so there's the emotional piece, which is how do we create the conditions to be comfortable in the discomfort of living in paradox? Otherwise, you know, I think for a long time, people talked about paradox as a very rational and cognitive thing. I think we talked about a lot of things as a very rational and cognitive thing. And we know that there is a duality between head and heart and, you know, and cognition and emotion and, and, and um, and so, indeed, we think that if we're not going to navigate or if we're not going to recognize the emotional part and navigate that, we're not going to be able to effectively manage these paradoxes and live in the both and. I, I'm not sure if you're aware of Annie Murphy Paul's last book, The Extended Mind. 
Yeah. Uh, it's great. Um, so she's a well-known science writer. And uh, she, basically, the idea is that um, our, our metaphors and our, uh, our thoughts around thinking are wrong, um, and they're not helpful uh, in the sense of brain is computer. Because mm-hmm. uh, the br- brain operates differently if it's with people or it's outside, whereas a computer doesn't do that. And even terms like growth mindset and grit sometimes lend itself to thinking like, well, if I just power through. So right. one of the things that that book, and especially in sort of my personal journey, becoming more and more aware of my body and what it's telling me, because often it's my body speaking to me before it's getting to my brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's my fear of heights. Yeah. 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 And in, and in fact, increasingly, that's what psychology is showing us. The the person that I like to follow a lot and that I have learned a lot from is Tara Brock and her work on radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. And in part, um, recognizing that the more that we can honor and accept these emotions and not sweep them under the rug, the more that we have the resources to be able to effectively navigate them and deal with them. And uh, yeah, I think that's important. All right. In a moment, I'm going to ask you for a yes and story, but I have two other things. I, I often have a little other section. So I go through the chapters and I've got various questions. And then I've got just little phrases that uh, uh, appeal to me. And these are these are two um, suggestions that you offer in terms of uh, for, for, for people navigating these this, this world. One is write it down. Mm. So this has come up a lot on the podcast of like, we've forgotten how important that can be. So tell, tell us in your context, what, what, why, why do we write it down? Um, wait, you have to say more. Yeah. So, so uh, no, that's fine. So, so in the book, what you're getting to, and I'm embarking on this project at second city right now is, is that when we don't write it down, um, it, it can sometimes get lost and be ephemeral. And I think in the same way, that some psych, uh, uh, therapist will recommend you, you just write something down. It doesn't even matter. You could throw it away. Uh, but that act of writing it down creates a, a sort of a, a, a mental scaffolding for you uh, with regard to navigating complex complexity. Yeah. Um, one of our colleagues, Carl Weick, who is a professor at University yeah. of Michigan, would say, I don't know what I say until I you know, read what I've written. And I think that part of this is, again, sort of navigating this tension between our conscious and our subconscious. And the more that we can get out what what we're thinking inside, the more that we can clarify what it is that we're thinking. And so we're living in that possibility of there's deeper insights and thoughts than we're able to articulate consciously. And I think that is part of that practice of being able to push ourselves further to, um, to deepen, to, to recognize that intuition, to deepen our understanding and to live, to engage more holistically. Carl Weick, one of the few noted academics who's actually written about improvisation in the context of sense-making yes. um, and, yeah. and studying that stuff. Okay. The other one was uh, change the question. Why yeah. do we change the question? Yeah. Well, I love that. I, you know, um, people often ask us, okay, give me, give me the primer on both and well, how do you do it? And uh, it's complex. So we, we start with that. But the mo- you know, in some ways, we say, look, like, if you're trying to meditate, there, the first stop is start with your breath. Yeah. As soon as you get that down, then you open up a whole new world. For both and thinking, we say the first stop is change the question. Because as soon as you get that down, and what we mean by change the question is that when you are confronted with a dilemma, explore that underlying tension, that underlying paradox, that underlying duality, and then shift the question from, do I focus on, you know, either my work or my family, either innovating or, you know, maintaining the existing world, shift the question to how do I accommodate both? 
And just shifting that question, reframing both, it opens up new possibilities for how to engage more deeply. It's yeah. the path of both and thinking. Yeah. And, 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 and it's a, it's a reframe, right? And, and, and that is so crucial, especially right now. I mean, you talk about polarization in the book too, yeah. um, that it is, it feels like, like, we're, 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 we've been asking the wrong questions. We, 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 we're not putting our attention where our attention needs to be. Um, yeah. And therefore, then we start telling us a, a story that we want to see as opposed to uh, a story that might be possible. Yeah, I'm so glad you said polarization, because we've been writing and thinking a lot about that. You know, we think either or is we say it's limited at best and detrimental at worst. And in particular, political polarization is where it gets so detrimental, where we've gone to such extremes of different positions and not having conversations with one another that we're creating problems for our society. And how can we start with an assumption that there are different approaches and start thinking about what it means to live in and respect and work together across these different approaches for a collectively valued, improved society. And we're so far from that right now. If you could just tweet that, I think everything would be solved. <laughs> if only it all, if all should. Only fit in a thread. Yeah, a tight five tweet thread. Uh, that would do it. All right. Uh, do you have a yes and story for us? I do have a yes answer. So I'll tell you how I got into thinking about paradox. I started with either or thinking. Uh, very briefly, I went to grad school because I thought I was going to study, as we were talking earlier, about social responsibility. I went to grad school at the time that Enron was about to fall and that I was really interested in Ben and Jerry's and all of the people involved in businesses for social responsibility. And I was studying with an amazing uh, professor who studied innovation, who uh had access to and was offering me access to leaders at IBM. And I didn't want to study IBM. I wanted to study social responsibility. And he had this amazing work to offer. And in fact, the yes and was being able to say, yes, I'm going to study innovation and I'm going to look to the deeper ideas of innovation. And it was that studying how IBM leaders navigated innovation, dealt with the tensions between today and tomorrow, stability and change, that introduced me to paradox as a concept, that introduced me to Marianne Lewis, my co-author on this book, that introduced us to a 25-year collaboration, and that brought me back to studying social responsibility and social innovations through organizations like we talked about, Zeta Cobb and Shorefast and Paul Pullman and Unilever and others. And so... Uh, so I, I, you know, they say, we, we say at the beginning of the book, research is me search. Uh, yep. I was very much living in either or until I was able to let go and live into the both and and find this notion of paradox through that work. Well, you'll be happy to know that I was on uh, a conference call with IBM uh, earlier today, uh, <laughs> who we're doing work with, uh, aligning all the sort of learning uh, things that they that they that they have. And they're actually using uh but both some of our, our ideas around exercises and that sort of stuff, but also some short form comedy content content that tees up the issues and shows them in a funny way how the stuff can express itself. So, uh, and I think on the call, I said, you really are probably tired of being in these business books about everything that went wrong at IBM years ago. <laughs> Well, at the time, it was there was some, you know, we talk about Janet Perna, who was the general manager of database management, and she was a brilliant example for me of both and thinking how she brought together the existing database world with the new database world. So I give, and they did a lot of work around trying to navigate the both and of the existing world and the new world at that time. And I learned a lot from them at that time. So 
The book is called Both And Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. And it was co-written by Marianne Lewis and our guest, Wendy Smith. Wendy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This has been really fun. Getting the Yes And podcast is produced by The Second City and WGN Radio. We are supported at The Second City by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. Our show is produced by Andrew Harris at WGN. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more about The Second City, you can log on to secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com. Survive.